Welcome to the sermon podcast of Twin Oaks Christian Church. This podcast is for the Twin Oaks community and beyond. What you'll find here is an honest exploration of the Bible that takes seriously the world around us while being informed by 2,000 years of the Christian tradition. This approach allows us to seek wisdom from the past as we face the future together as disciples of Jesus. Such a thought roots us in a living and diverse tradition, allowing us to explore critically the mystery of our faith. I'm happy you're joining us today, and I hope you're edified by what you hear. We got it on there. (laughs) All right, thank you, Josh. I appreciate that. If you guys would go and open up with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, give me an amen when you're there. Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 13 today. Yeah, feeling good? Okay, let's do this. Let's dive in. Ephesians 3, 1 to 13. This is the reason that I, Paul, am a prisoner for Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. For surely you have already heard of the commission of God's grace that was given me for you, and how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I wrote above in a few words, a reading of which will enable you to perceive my understanding of the mystery of Christ. In former generations, this mystery was not made known to humankind, as has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That is, the Gentiles have become fellow heirs, members of the same body, and sharers in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I have become a servant according to the gift of God's grace that was given me by the working of his power. Although I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to bring to the Gentiles the news of the boundless riches of Christ and to make everyone see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the wisdom of God in its rich variety might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose that he has carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have access to God in boldness and confidence through faith in him. I pray, therefore, that you may not lose heart over my sufferings for you. They are your glory. Would you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Open up our ears to what it is your spirit has to say to us this morning. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of your Holy Spirit, O God and Father. Amen. All right, so uh, this week I was wrestling through this, and uh, (laughs) it was a little bit complicated uh, for several reasons. I mean, if you look at that text, there are some really cool things in there. We have the mystery of God being revealed, which is a pretty big deal, right? He says this was not made known to humankind until you get the apostles and the prophets, and then Jesus comes and the Holy Spirit comes, and then it's revealed to everybody. And and that's awesome, right? So we're, we're on board for that kind of stuff. But then the question I have is how on earth is this applied? to us today? What are the things that we need to take away from this? And the question I'm asking myself is, what do I do with this information? Yes, I know what the mystery of God is now, but now what? And one of the things I started wrestling with as I was praying through this text is uh, seeing how that application would sort of apply in my own life. And I was thinking about what does it mean for each and every one of us And one of the things that came to mind for me, and one of the struggles that I have, especially reading this, has been, you know, I know how to live life as a Christian generally. 
Like if you go back to the Gospels and you hear me say this in almost every single sermon that I preach, you have the greatest commandments that are brought out, right? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love your neighbor as your what? Yourself. So we know to do those basic things, and that's good. And if we can like use that as a core foundation, awesome. We know how to live our lives, generally speaking. And that's nice, and it's not something that just occurs in our private world. It's something that happens out in public as well. But is there any point in time where we move from that and we grow in that and sort of take that into public spaces, where we take that with us into our working spaces, right? Because I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor, so I'm going to do that. But is there anything more? Is there something more collective that I can be doing? Have you ever wondered that? Just beyond, yeah, I'm trying, I'm loving people like day in and day out. I am doing that. That feels good. And it's not just that it feels good. Sometimes it's actually very difficult when I go to work, right? But is there anything more that I can do? And I think generally speaking, Paul lays something out for us quite well here. Look with me in verse 8 to 10. And then actually, yeah, verses 8 through 10. Although I am the very least of all the saints... This grace was given to me to bring to the Gentiles the news of the boundless riches of Christ and to make everyone see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the wisdom of God and its rich variety might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. There you have it. Beyond loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself, you have this new commission, right, that Paul says we have. This is something Paul says he has internalized and is trying to live out now, and this is something that you and I are called to do. Why? Because he says this is the task of the church. And let me ask you a question. Are you the church? Yeah. We're the church. As individuals, we are members of the church. We make up this collective body. And so he gives us here in this moment a commission to do something. What is that something we are called to do? To make known the wisdom of God in its rich variety to the rulers and authorities and the heavenly places. So to me, like, the commission is clear. We have been called to make known the wisdom of God to the rulers and the authorities of the world. So we know who we are. So if we're, like, making an email right now, right? Okay, so we still email and do stuff like that. Yeah, we're on board. So if we're making an email, you've got the to section, then you've got the content section, and then you've got the from section, right? So we'll start over here. The from section is from who? Who is this coming from? The church, right? So we are writing this letter, so to speak. Now, who is the two part, if we're to look there? The rulers and the authorities. So we're writing this email to the rulers and the authorities. It's from the church over here. And then there is the content or the body of the message. And what is the content and the body of the message? The wisdom of God. So we are sending this message to the rulers and authorities about the wisdom of God. And that sounds great. I'm so glad that it's clear that that is what we have been called to do. But what the heck does that mean? What is the wisdom of God in its rich variety? And not to mention, who are the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places? 
Now, I, I don't want to make too much light of it, but isn't that just a little bit bizarre? Because when it says rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, that means we aren't talking about the rulers and authorities in the right here and right now material world, so to speak. I mean, there is a direct connection, as we'll look later, but we're talking about the rulers and powers in the heavenly places. Who on earth is that? Or out of earth, I guess I should say, right? So who are those people? or things, or entities, if, if you will. That's what I want to explore today. So we know the church is who this is from, and we know we're supposed to write to the rulers and the authorities, and we know the content is supposed to be the wisdom of God. So let's go ahead and dive in and ask the question, who are the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places? We're tipped off just a little bit here in verse 10, so that through the church, the wisdom of God in its rich variety might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. We learn that these things are in the heavenly places, the uranos in the Greek. So it means sort of this immaterial reality. I know it's easy for us to think about like the Uranus or the heavens as like the places that are above, but we aren't talking about spatial stuff. These are actually spatial metaphors. We know this from first century documents. The spatial metaphors are supposed to portray an immaterial reality that is around us, not something that's just above us, but something that's interacting with us in our everyday life. So we have this spatial metaphor that's used there. But then there's this other line that we didn't read in our text. If we go a little bit further, look with me in verse 14 of chapter 3. It may be subtle, and you may not see it. I don't know if you can see it in the English or not. But it says in verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knee before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. Now, it's subtle. Maybe you missed it. I missed it the first time until they started looking at it in the Greek. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So the key word there is patras, the Father, from whom every family in heaven, patria, patria. This word patria is interesting. You can see that it's pulled from the Greek word for father, patras, right? So patras is father, patria is this sort of, uh, what do they call it, family under heaven. This word can be translated as nation. It can be translated as like a nation state. It can be translated as a family. Any group of people it can be translated as. The idea is sort of there is this hierarchy that everybody is aware of, and then from there, there's sort of this order that takes place. Now, you may not know this, but there is this subtle hinting in other spots of Ephesians, and then all the way back to the book of Revelation that we can look at. And I want to take a look at that right here and right now, because I think it's fascinating. So these hints are actually coming through in the Pauline text. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. We might start asking the question, what kind of beings, if you will, dwell in the heavenly places? I think the answer will become rather clear. So remember, patria means it's sort of this hierarchical sort of narrative there of a group of people, whether it's a family or a nation or anything above. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 1, and we're just going to go through a couple of texts here, okay? It starts off in 2.1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write. If you go a little bit further in verse 8, 
and to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write. A little bit further, verse 12, and to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write. And a little bit further in verse 18, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira, Thyatira, write. And then even further, and to the angel of the church in Sardis, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, right? No, not Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, but Philadelphia, the originally, the original brotherly love place. And then finally we have, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea, right. Why bring this up? Because one form of the patria are these angelic beings which reside over, in, and around these particular churches. Whether it was like an individual community like here at Twin Oaks Christian Church, or maybe it's a place like an angel over the church of Eugene. We don't really know. We know that the churches generally, if you were talking about like the church in Corinth, they weren't usually talking about an individual place with a sign out in front that says, this is our individual place. Rather, they were talking about the entire church that was in that particular city, for example, in Corinth. And remember, the word angelos means messenger or angel. So there is this sense of the supernatural or otherly immaterial sort of being that exists there. So what do we learn from this? One of the patria forms is angels. That's one of the ways that we can look at this. But where do those angels reside? So one, we know the church. Two, we know there are institutions, whether it's you know, a nation or whatever like that. But we can go even further than that. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7, verse 1. So beyond institutions, beyond the church, we have this. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, so that no wind could blow on the earth or sea or against any tree. My point in bringing this up is our angels of nature as well. So there are the angels of nature, there are the angels of the institution, there are the angels of the church, and then there's even one more that we need to discuss. The angels of individuals. Now, how many of you know about guardian angels, right? You've probably heard this. I don't remember if that was a show or whatever. Touched by an angel was a show, right? I'm getting that right. I can't remember. Okay. So uh, angels, I, this is sort of an odd one for me. I've always like, been thinking like, okay, so guardian angels are a thing I remember being told about as a child, and then I was like, mm, but maybe they're not real. I can't find it anywhere in the Bible. But then, of course, if you dive into the Bible, you find that there are a lot of strange things that we don't talk about very often, and then there are a lot of things that we talk about often that aren't actually in the Bible. So sometimes it's hard to separate fact from fiction, right? And so where do individual angels fall? Turn with me now. I know I've got you flipping your pages if you want to, but I love this. Matthew chapter 18. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 18 and look at verse 10. I'm going to read this beautiful little parable for you. Take care that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you in heaven their angels continually see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of of your Father in heaven, that one of these little ones should be lost. So he tells this beautiful parable, but in the midst of telling the parable, he tells us something very, very truthful. Take care that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you in heaven, their angels continually see the face of my Father in heaven. The idea 
to these small children have angels or these beings that oversee them, that are aware of them, that know them by name. Not only that they know them by name, but they go and they stand before the Father who is in heaven. Every child on this earth has an angel, is what I pick up from this text. But it's not just children, I don't think. Turn with me again to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, verse 15. Peter has just been put in prison. People think that he's about to die. They don't know what's going on with him. And so in verse 12, it starts off and it says this. As soon as he realized this, he went to the house of Mary. This is after Peter has been let out of prison by an angel, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many had gathered and were praying. And when they knocked at the outer gate, a maid named Rhoda came to answer. On recognizing Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the gate, she ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the gate. And here's the kicker. They said to her, you were out of your mind, but she insisted that it was so. And they said, what? It is his angel. Now, we're not talking about some kind of a spirit here. The spirit that we have and an angel are two separate beings, right? They're different beings in the heavenly realm. So we have our soul and our spirit and our bodies and stuff like that. But then there are angels which are completely separate beings. So when we see this, we aren't saying like it's an apparition of Peter somehow. What we're saying is that the angel that oversees and interacts with Peter on a daily basis, that is who's at the door ready to deliver a message. Why? Because an angelos, again, is a messenger. So what do we gather from this? Again, go back to that word, patria, the fatherland, the, the family. You fill in the blank, the institution or the church. Over each and every one of these things, no matter how large or how small, there appears to be some kind of angelic being that exists out there. Now, why bring all of this up with our text? The reason I bring this up is because it actually allows us to have a mission. If there are these angelic beings that oversee churches and individuals and institutions, that might mean that there's an angel over up at Twin Oaks Elementary School. There might be an angel over the city of Eugene. There might be an angel over, you fill in the blank, right? Any institution that you can think of. Now, when you start thinking like that, the reason that this can be helpful is understanding what the role of the angel is in the Bible. Yes, we have the messenger, but often they don't have the complete story. Why this is, I have no idea. We don't seem to have any biblical evidence to suggest why the angels don't have that. We just know that humans have been created just above the angels, right? Have you ever thought about what that means? And maybe why that's important? Because if you think about angels, do you think you're higher than an angel on the hierarchy? Like if you really think about it, it doesn't feel that way because they seem to just appear whenever they want. I can't just appear anywhere, wherever I want. When I want mucho gusto, I can't just apparate there and all of a sudden I'm there. It doesn't work like that. I have to get in the car and see if they're open and then I have to go and order food and all that stuff, right? So I don't have that kind of power and yet somehow we have been placed above the angels and not in any arrogant way. We have our problems too. So what is it that makes us above the angels? Again, I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles today. I know I got you flipping in your Bibles. Forgive me, but maybe it's a good thing. Who knows? But turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 
1 Peter chapter 1. I believe it's verse 10. 1 Peter is all the way to the right in your Bible. Prior to Revelation, though. Let's make sure that we've got this here. Okay, yes, verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, so Peter's talking about salvation. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that was to be yours made careful search and inquiry, inquiring about the person or the time that the Spirit of Christ within them indicated when it testified in advance to the sufferings destined for Christ and the subsequent glory. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in regard to the things that have now been announced to you through those who brought you good news by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So real quick, before we go to that last part of the line, we learned that the prophets didn't always understand fully what was going on, and yet it was revealed to them over time what the Spirit was doing within them, and then soon it is made known. But then we learn that that is not the case with the angels, right? Remember a couple of, a couple of years ago, we did the, the sermon series, Echoes of Christ in the, in the Old Testament. We were talking about how it isn't something that the prophets were like, you know what, I think that I see Jesus dying on the cross and, and rising from the dead, and I'm just gonna write that flat out. Maybe if they would have seen that, they would have actually written that all the way out, right? But no, what they did is they had these, this sense about them. They had this spirit about them, but they didn't have the full story. And now as Christians, with Jesus rising or dying and rising on, the cro- rising on the cross, we can go back and read the Old Testament with that lens in mind. And so we read backwards, as it were. So it's been revealed to us, so now we know something new. Now, that's pretty cool, right? We have this new information about what Christ is doing. It's not just a historical document, the Bible. It's a Christological one that is about Jesus. But that last line is so critical. So it's been revealed to the prophets, the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which the angels long to look. The angels long to to look into the things which have been revealed through Jesus in the Spirit of God to you and to me. So that should contextualize things now for Ephesians chapter 3. So turn with me back to Ephesians chapter 3. And let's read this again, verse 8 to 10, with that new perspective in mind. Although I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to bring to the Gentiles the news of the boundless riches of Christ and to make everyone see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the wisdom of God in its rich variety might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Rulers and authorities being the angelos, the angels over individuals, the angels over the churches. Do you notice what John is doing in Revelation? Shouldn't the angels already know what God is saying? They don't appear to know. 
So what does God do? He sends John and says, say to the angel at the church in Sardis, you have to change your ways. Say to the angel in Laodicea, you have to change your ways or I'm going to spit you out because you're lukewarm water and I don't want any part of that. It is the job of the Christian or the prophet in that scenario to speak to the angel in order to bring the angel up to speed. Angels appear to be neutral in their knowledge, and it is our job to reveal the wisdom of God to them. That's pretty cool, I think. Like, it actually gives me a mission in my everyday life, because how many of you have worked for an institution before? Anybody at all? Nobody? Perfect. All of us have probably worked for an institution, right? Whether it's one that we get paid at or maybe it's something we do at home. Maybe we work at our family, which is an institution of sorts. Or maybe anybody out there, okay, I love asking this question when there's so few people here right now. (laughs) How many of you are an individual? Yeah, all of us. Everybody should raise their hand, right? All of us are individuals. All of us have these angelos, these angels, these messengers that are around us. And we have the wisdom of God, which what is the wisdom of God according to this text? If you just go back up a little bit further in Ephesians 3, he spells it out very, very plainly. This is the reason that I, Paul, am a prisoner for Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. For surely you have already heard of the commission of God's grace that was given me for you and how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I wrote above in a few words, a reading of which will enable you to perceive my understanding of the mystery of Christ. In former generations, this mystery was not made known to humankind. Remember, still in the dark there, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That is, the Gentiles have become fellow heirs, members of the same body, and sharers in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I love this because the word for Gentile is so irritating to me because we don't use the word Gentile in everyday practice as American Christians, do we? We might use it in reference to the Bible, but we don't use it of people literally today, right? Now, if you were a Jew, that is something you might do, right? Because that's still one of the drawing lines, still one of the boundaries between you and the rest of the world. But this is how the ancient world worked. If you were a Jew, everybody else in the world was a Gentile, right? It wasn't like one group of people. Like, they weren't referring to the Greeks. They weren't referring to the Romans. They weren't referring to the barbarians. They were referring specifically to the nations, right? The nations is another way that Gentiles is now in vogue. It's being translated that way because it's far more helpful for us to understand. If you were a Roman, you had the barbarians, right? Everybody else is basically a barbarian. It was the same way in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. There were the Jews and then there was everybody else. There were the Christians and then there were everybody else. But the mystery of God is that that wall has been broken down. And not only that, that Jesus has now ascended to the throne of heaven, not just over Jerusalem, not just over Israel, not just over the Christians, but over the entire cosmos. Which means that your job and my job as a Christian is to go out into the world and proclaim that mystery to the nations, whatever the institution is within those nations, around those nations, to the nations themselves. This is what Paul sees himself doing. 
Okay, that all sounds great. But again, I was telling you early on, how does that actually get, get lived out like practically? That, that's the hard part. How do you proclaim this mystery that most of us already know about as Christians? I think the answer can be found in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 to 15. Ephesians 5, verses 8 to 15 says this. For once you were in darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what such people do secretly, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, sleeper, awake, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. Simply put, in our everyday life, as individuals, as members of families, as members of institutions, whether it's you know, a Christian university, a dental office, working with parks and recreation and outdoor spaces, whether it's working with people on a care level, whether it's working on the farm, whether it's working in insurance or not working at all or at a police department or working with children with needs or whatever it is, you fill in the blank. You have a job to do. And and what we're learning in our world is that those things that are darkness have been hidden quite well. Like I keep thinking, I could not help but think about like the Me Too movement and how how much of that stuff that was happening to women was just swept under the rug and actively pushed away. Or the stuff in the Roman Catholic Church just sort of pushed away and hidden. No. Your job, my job, is to hang on to our integrity and to speak up when darkness happens and expose with light the evil deeds of the world and to bring those things into the light so that they might be purified by God because all things belong to Jesus who is the Christ, the Messiah, the King and ruler of all. So when you go to work, when you wake up with your family, when you go to bed at night, when you're by yourself, there is no time where you are not thinking about how to live this out. You have been called to reveal the wisdom of God to the nations and even to yourself. And it starts here in the gathering as we gather together to worship the risen Lord. Amen? Amen. Holy God, we thank you for your text. We thank you for Ephesians and for Paul and all the stuff that he wrote. And we're thankful that we can kind of go back and dissect what it says. Thank you for scholars who can guide us through that process, like Walter Wink. And I pray that we could be a people who can embody this well, that we would be literally, as you say, a light 
or a city on the hill that's shining in the darkness, that we wouldn't put the light under a bushel basket, as you say in the Sermon on the Mount. Help us to shine brightly so that we might expose darkness wherever we are, whether that's in ourselves, whether that's in other people. The goal is not to become somebody who just calls people out, but with grace and love to point it out and to bring change into the world so that people might know you because you are the God of love. We ask these things in the name of the resurrected Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit of God and Father. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Twin Oaks Christian Church. For more information about Twin Oaks, please visit our website at twinoakseugene.com.